Welcome back to Division One Rejects. I'm your host, Kobe Manzo. It's episode 135 on October 12th. We've got potentially one of my favorite guests to join the podcast. It's saying a lot. We've had a lot of guys, a lot of great guests come on this show. But head coach from University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, Matt Janis, joins me here shortly. The Lacrosse Eagles, if you live under some type of rock or stone, just had probably the biggest win in Division Three football this year, going into Whitewater in front of 20-plus thousand people and pulling out a win on a game-winning 50-plus-yard field goal. Quite the incredible experience. We'll talk with Coach here in a little bit, talk all about that game, all about the season for lacrosse, their upcoming game against Platteville, some WIAC talk for today. But for the most part, uh, just me for today, so a lot of it's going to be D2 talk. That's what you get from me. D2 football, that's, that's where I'm plugged in. That's what I'm about. Um, we will have our first episode with uh, all three, myself, uh, Jimmy, talking about the D3 side of things, and then our new NAIA correspondent coming out on Tuesday of next week. So stay tuned for that. We're going to have all the levels of football covered, and I am, uh, I'm pretty pumped about that. I think that's going to be really good, hopefully get some consistency going with the show and uh, cover a lot of these levels. But for tonight, we've got Week 7 previews, some huge matchups. If you follow us on the socials, you've seen a couple of the matchups we got going on. Um, and otherwise, there was a D2 player signed today to a practice squad in the NFL. Wanted to take a second to highlight him. He's from give you a hint, Oklahoma Baptist, wide receiver. That's all I'll say. Anyways, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, timestamps, bottom of the episode, if you want to get ready to that conversation with Coach Janice, get to our game recap, or previews, excuse me, get to that practice signing. Um, other than that, you can watch this episode pretty much anywhere. If you are on YouTube, remember to use those timestamps uh, in the description. Those will also be on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you'll listen to the podcast. Please, take a second. Subscribe. All right, follow us on whatever platform you're listening to right now. That's all I ask. That's all I ask, please. I'm not holding out a cup for spare change. Just please hit subscribe. Please hit follow. Um, it's enough pandering for me, though. I just want to get get those numbers up for us so we can, can enable us to do some more fun things with the show, with its content. But I appreciate all you tuning into this one, and I think you're going to be pretty excited about this guest conversation with Coach Janice. Joining the show tonight, this man commands a flock of Eagles on a weekly basis. They just won potentially the biggest game of the year in D3 football from Wisconsin lacrosse, Matt Janice. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? How's it going? I'm I'm doing good. We had a, a wet wet rainy practice, so the weather has has officially changed here in in Wisconsin, and I'm gonna have some different elements here uh, this weekend. So it's actually you know you don't usually hope for rain in practice, but I, I was like, please rain, please yeah. rain, please rain, so we can kind of just make sure our guys get used to. It's actually weather's been really good, so get our guys used to kind of handling the rain here. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you saw the clip, but you guys won't have to do this in practice. The the USC punt returners with the spray hose. Did you peep that on the, on the old X app the other day? Actually, funny story on that. We, we, we do that. Obviously, we take our water bottles. And, and kind of <laughs> no that. way. And, uh, we, we had uh, – we so, yeah, oh, yeah, we do that. It, like, if we know it's going to be – the problem is we had a coach, <laughs> I think it was like, like a couple weeks ago that did it. It was going to be like 75 and sunny. <laughs> <laughs> So we're like, we're like, coach, I mean, we, it's going to be 75 and sunny. Well, why are, why are we spraying water on him right now? It doesn't, we don't need that right now. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. With a straight water bottle though. <laughs> yeah. Just water bottle. Yeah, and then you'd, the- like, you'd have the coach and he's just spraying it. The guy's <laughs> <laughs> that's great, man. But, um, you know, what a week for you guys talk about just, um, especially getting the guys back and, and having to, you know, I'm sure it doesn't take much in that conference to re-energize them, but just talk about this week, man, and what it's been like, kind of initial reactions from you. Yeah, you know, I, I think for, for like for me personally, like 
like this this was like so at this point last year we actually lost a really close game uh, yeah. to those guys and and that was uh we had to play UW Stout the next week and and that was the hardest week of coaching of just the emotion of everything uh and kind of turning that around and then to go to this week uh where you know where you now you, you won that close game and then to try it, it's like it's the same emotion but it's different yeah. uh, so I felt like you know this week was also uh, one of the hardest weeks that I've had as a coach. And, uh, you know, we know what's coming on Saturday and how good this team we are, we're playing in Platteville uh, is on Saturday. But I, I, and I thought I did a really bad job on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, and I actually apologized to my team on Wednesday because I was so, um, you know, by the time, by the second after that game, I shook Coach Coach Rindle's hand. Uh, the second after that, it was about UW Platteville to me. Uh, and whether that's fair or unfair, I know it's like, well, enjoy the win. I, I know it's just like, to me, it's like, ah, what's next? I yeah. need what's next now. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I was really bad as a coach on Monday and Tuesday. I was very hard on our guys, uh, was very like, okay, we can't even talk about this. I don't want to see any Instagram pictures on, on this. I want you. And, and that was just the wrong way for me. So thankfully I caught myself and, you know, we were just kind of talking as, as captains and we kind of kind of caught myself and was able to get back to, to who I am and me. And uh, it doesn't diminish like what we're trying to do and accomplish during the week. It was just kind of a, a whole change of, of emotions here and, and just dealing with, with that type of success. And, you know, all the people that are reaching out alumni, you know, campus and, you know, you have all that, but yet you're, it, it, the week changes so fast that you have to get ready for this, this, this opponent that we have, we're going to see the best defense. We're going to, we're going to see probably two of the most explosive receivers. So it's yep. kind of a, it's really just a strange set of, uh, of emotions, really. It is, and those and those good, reactions good. are not, not bad, not bad, yeah. good, but but not bad. But the reactions are one hundred percent warranted, though, because you hear people talk about that after, like you said, whether it be an emotional win or an emotional loss, whatever kind of roller coaster that I can only imagine just from watching that Saturday was for you guys. It can be hard to get the guys back in that same mindset, and you know, talking about that, the number that. Uh, pundits and uh, idiots that talk on the internet such as myself had mentioned all after the game was 19 right the streak of you guys not being able to pull off that win over whitewater I'm sure that was probably not part of the rhetoric heading into Saturday am I correct in that statement yeah you know you didn't you didn't, I, I didn't realize it was that long like I, I knew it was and I knew there was really close games over the last couple of years yeah and, uh, you know, kind of back and forth games, which were really cool games to be a part of. And obviously didn't, weren't able to come out. I didn't realize that. And then you kind of got there. Everybody like, like people from there, like their team, like everybody was just kind of talking about that. I'm like, Oh, okay. And then you, know, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't think much. We didn't talk about it ever uh, as a team going Good, into that. Yeah. So, uh, definitely was just like, definitely felt it as you, you know, as the, as the game got closer last week. Yeah. Definitely I hear you. People talking to you. And that's something, too, where, you know, you mentioned before we got recording here, like Michigan Tech, Northern Michigan, like they've won the last 12. You look at that, you think, oh, this is a very dominant one-sided rivalry. You look at the individual games, you find something else, right? You see that these games are back and forth, absolute slugfest, often coming down to, like your guys' contest this weekend, the final play. Give me the play-by-play. -play. That ball is doing these little flips through the air, and I'm assuming just felt like it was suspended in slow motion. What's going through your head right there in that 50-some yard ridiculous bomb? Well, there was a couple of things. I mean, kind of leading up to it, it was, um, you know, it was, okay, we didn't want to give him the ball back. I mean, that was that was first and foremost. So our offense did a great job of just pretty much winding down the clock. And yep. then, um, and then you know, we get into the, to the, to the fourth down. We go for it on fourth down because I didn't want to give him the ball back. We get it. Kaiser does a great job. Our quarterback, Kaiser Heltebrand, does a great job of getting it. Uh, and then we needed – 
realistically, we needed five more yards. What was probably our kick. There was a really strong wind. Uh, good day. That's that's in his range. But there was a really strong wind. So we felt like we needed five more yards. We got one more yard. Uh, and then um, they kind of called, you know, so then we get our kicking team, our field goal team out there. They call timeout. I just kind of looked over at our kicker, Michael Stack, and uh, he's young. He's only a sophomore, uh, works extremely hard, and he just kind of smiled and then went through his, you know, his his kind of pre, pre-kick progression on the side. And, uh, but, like, he smiled at me, and I'm just like, he, he's going to drill this. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. he's going he's gonna to make this. And, you know, and we're talking to our field goal team, and it was a long, so like, okay, they're going to put a returner back there. We got to cover. We got to make sure we cover Absolutely. Uh, all that stuff. And, um just kind of looking at his smile and then you watch him kick it and you're like, it couldn't happen to a nicer kid. It couldn't happen. Like Michael, our, our kicker is, is such a great human being uh, and just so excited for him to have, have that moment. I love it. Yeah. You put it out on, uh, you know, we put it on our channels and stuff and you saw the boys rolling in all about all the comments. He's been about it. You know, this ain't nothing new, right? Like they, they knew now in that moment where they that confident, I'm sure there were some, there were some wide eyes there for a minute looking at the, the 20,000 people behind yeah, that ball, looking at it from yeah. your sideline. That is incredible. And I, I bring it up every chance I get on this show, but I was at MetLife when Ithaca and Cortland played to break yep. the overall record. So yeah. I've seen Division Three football at its highest. I understand what that's like. I can only imagine the on-campus environment and what that entails as opposed to, you know, being in that kind of stadium. But let's, let's stick on Kaiser for a little bit as far as how you guys have been able to utilize him in your offense. Um, Jimmy and I were throwing around the Taysom Hill reference and that Swiss Army knife term a lot on Monday's show. And when you look at his performance this last week, he threw it 16 times, totes it for another 25. The dude is touching the ball on just about every part of your offense. Um, obviously, a little bit of uh, trickery here and there. I tossed that one touchdown. Talk about what you've been able to get out of him in this offense. Well, I guess just to start with Kaiser, uh, I mean, he's just a phenomenal athlete uh, in general. And, and what he's done over the course of his career, we always had the athlete and, and that type of player. And what he's done over the course of his career is he's worked really hard uh, on the quarterback and continuing to grow uh, as a quarterback. And, and credit to him, credit to our offensive coordinator, uh, Coach McGuire, uh, in the relationship that those two uh, have had since since I became the head coach here three years ago. Um, credit to their growth uh, not just with the system, but like with each other and working on on that relationship. And and so we knew we have a, a really good quarterback. We know we have a really good athlete because uh, the realistic part is Kaiser is going to return kicks for us. Uh, he he could probably start on three three or four positions on defense too. I'm not hesitant. I'm trying to take him because I'm a defensive coach. So I'm trying to. Time. Can we take maybe Kaiser and play some field safety, or can we play take and play some Sam linebacker? He would be able to do it, and he'd do it in a heartbeat. And then, oh, yeah. And then he, he's got that um, he's got that gene that you can't teach in, in a that's player. The, that's the dog gene, coach. You know, you, you, when you get that with, with with the guy, and like when you have that with the player, it's just special. And you know, I I don't do I, I let Coach McGuire and our offense coordinator handle the offense. I mean. In important moments, all I say on the headset is, hey, just put the ball into his hands. And he'll find a way uh, to make a play for us, and he'll consistently do that. So it's really special when you have a guy like that. And then, you know, the way we're utilizing him is not just because he's a great athlete, but because we have a really good quarterback in our backup quarterback. Absolutely. And we know, uh, you know, transfer out of East Illinois, we know he's a really good good player as well. So it's trying to be like, okay, let's always utilize the strength of our football team and let's utilize our personnel. And at times that means guys are playing running back or on Saturday he's playing wide receiver and, and to try to move him around to get Zach in uh, as well and try to find that, that best 11 on the field. Yeah. And sometimes that's easier said than done, right? As far as like, 
taking your skill set you have as a team and actually, you know, maybe changing or modifying your scheme and, you know, doing what you do schematically to to amplify or bring out those some of those better parts. But like you said, the trust thing is huge. You already talked about the fourth down conversion that um, he's able to get in there with the help of some of the boys, a little tush-push action going on to get that first down. Um, like you said, probably could have used a couple more yards to make it feel more comfortable. But we can talk about Zach a little bit. He comes in not only performing well. I mean, the dude was surgical, 9 for 12, taking great care of the ball, uh, had a one great deep ball to stutter, but finishes with 206 and two tuds. Another guy, only a sophomore, at least eligibility, wise talk about what he's been able to do coming in not seeing a ton of snaps but being able to step into a game like this and assert himself almost immediately yeah it's just I mean it's just a credit to him I mean because you know I, I get it I mean there's some frustration I mean we know he knows I mean we know Kaiser Kaiser is the guy but we also know he's really talented he knows he's really talented I mean we feel just as comfortable with with him in as well so I know there's there's some frustration because as a competitor you you constantly want to play but but Zach's just been uh just such a huge part of everything in terms of the way that he prepares himself in terms of the way that uh, he grows with and he's still growing in our offense right and uh, to be able to get him over here for spring ball and have that part of it like so so credit to him for, for staying involved and, and coach McGuire for using the scheme to to get them both on the field you know Zach had a really good uh first game an opening game for us and uh you know he stepped in from time to time and he does a great job with taking care of the football he's got tremendous pose and then uh, poison and then his arm strength uh you know he he lets the one rip to, to ryan bartle uh, uh on, a, on a kind of an out from the hash and throws that across from hash all the way to the on a speed out for a touchdown i mean he, his arm strength is, is really unbelievable yeah it is man and it's one thing to come into a game you know as even though you don't it's more of a 1a 1b type situation in that room that you have when you have that technical second quarterback coming to the game it's one thing when you do it when your team is up or down by 30 points right when you come in there's not a lot of expectations the game is all but been decided in this type of game where it's like whoever's on the field is it feels like currently has momentum currently is is going down poised to score how is that how does that change um, if anything, maybe it doesn't. How you treat that offense, how you treat these guys, and um, those momentum swings, how you guys are able to handle that. Yeah, you know, hey, that's a credit. I'm just a defense guy, so you know our <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Sim simplicity, right? <laughs> but uh, a credit to our offense coordinator. And, you know, we've actually done that for the last two years here. We did a did a duo system last year uh, with, with Cade Garcia, who was our quarterback at the time, and Kaiser. Uh, and so, like, we've kind of built that with around our offense. Um, so, like, we're, we're not, like, strangers to it. This is year two uh, of kind of being able to use two different quarterbacks. Gotcha. And, and with Kaiser and with his, his ability – it's it, the bigger challenge is, is to, honestly is trying to fit the personnel uh, and going with, okay, well, Kaiser's now playing here, so-and-so here, and kind of moving some of the personnel groupings uh, around to get that in uh, with him. But like I said, credit to Coach McGuire. I mean, that that's him and and what he's been able to do with that room. Uh, you know, he was the, the coach of the year in our conference last year for good reason. I, I just, I just am, am so fortunate enough to have him uh, on staff here. Absolutely. Last piece, I promise, on the Whitewater game on Saturday. Yeah. Let's talk about the defense a little bit. I showed a lot of love to the offense here, and I've asked you a bunch of questions, but they stepped up big time as well. And, you know, the scoreboard might not say so, but it's all about those timely stops and things that uh, you do during the game that sets up the offense for their positions that they're able to go in uh, and score, keep them fresh, keep them off the field. Three forced fumbles for you guys. You got six different players registering TFLs. And for me, maybe the biggest stat, actually, not one guy over seven tackles, which, you know, you can interpret that a couple different ways. For me, and at least trying to watch a little bit of film and trying to watch the game a little bit, 
dudes are flying to the ball, and it's not one guy that uh, you're relying on to make the play uh, each and every snap. It can be a different dude stepping up, doing their, you know, I'll give you a coach speak right now, your 111th, right? Doing your 111th, being at the right spot at the right time. Uh, what do you attribute that to? You know, I, I think just the mentality of our kids and, and what our defensive staff was able to, to get, to, you know, to, to work with them on this week. And that was, hey, just go series by series. I mean, who cares? Like, that's all it's about is go series by series. And, you know, in the case of this this game, like we talked about all week with our team, and it wasn't just our defense, but with our whole, it was going to be two heavyweight punches back and forth mm. and, and for four quarters until the end of that game. That's what that game's been. So so we had to get to the bench, and whether there was good things that happened or there was bad things. And just, hey, let's hit reset. Let's get on the board. Let's get on the whiteboard. Let's draw up what, what we saw, what we did well, what we didn't. We missed up. We gave up, I don't know, two, two really, three really big plays for touchdowns. We were out of a fit on one. Uh, we took a bad angle on the other, and we uh, we ran upfield uh, too far with our ends and didn't keep the quarterback, didn't stay in our pass rush lane. And, and so, like, that was all bad things that happened, but we got to the series, got to the bench. We're able to hit reset and just work on the next series. And, and the biggest factor with our defense is what we've been really waiting on all years before. Like you said, we forced turnovers. Uh, you Huge. Know, as a head coach, I tell about three things with our guys. And if you asked any one of them, they'd probably roll the team, the ball, the WIAC. That's all we talk about. And, and the ball changes games. Mm. It changes the football game. It, it doesn't matter. That's why I'll sacrifice tackles for the ball. I don't care. Get the ball out. And we were finally able – to force turnovers as as a defense, and we forced three one. Two of them were two of them were huge, and two of them we end up scoring off of. Yep. Um and able to play that complimentary football uh, uh, with that. So, um, like I said, credit to our defense and our and our defense staff and our defense back coach and defense line coach for just getting that thing to go series by series, being able to hit delete when when bad things were happening, or even if a good thing happened. Who cares? It's about the next series now. Hey, you forced fumble here. Great job. Let's get on to the next series and focus on what they could be coming out in in next. Yeah, and what excites me um, a lot about your squad, but what excites me is that you guys have been in both now. We talked about it earlier, the emotional win, the emotional loss. You've seen both, and you've seen them at a really big stage, right? Whether it be Whitewater, whether it be a Harden-Simmons, anywhere in between, you've got more coming up. But now, since you've seen both sides of that, I feel like, at least from an outsider's perspective, that prepares you for that stage, especially being in the WIAC and being in that conference. You know you're going to have more of those. Talking about that this weekend, Platteville, Talk to me about what you can expect from those guys. Well, I, you know, I think everybody is, is you know, when you, when you think of Platteville, they're going to talk about especially their defense. Uh, and rightfully so. I mean, there, there's no – I mean, it is – everything that's been said about it is, is 100% right on. Uh, you know, obviously the Blazik uh, gets gets a lot of attention, and rightfully so. He's got the size. He's got the length. Uh, he can control a game on a, by himself up front. Uh, but the rest of their D-line and the Bacon kid, and, I mean, the rest of their D-line is – is phenomenal uh, and, and they are going to cause havoc and they cause chaos up front. And that, you know, that carries over to their linebacker to their boundary safety position. So uh, everything that is advertised about their defense is a hundred percent spot on. And their, their play caller, Dan Bowder has done a great job over the course of, of his career there. Uh, and so we know he's going to be locked in. So our offense, I mean, we got to find a way, some way, to establish a run game uh, on their on their front on their front, we just have to. We have to be able to establish a, a version of a run game to get to get that moving a, a little bit. And then, uh, you know, you switch gears to their offense. Um, man, uh, explosive. That's the way I would put it. I mean, they are uh, their quarterback is playing at an extremely high level right now. Uh, he is making uh, uh, some throws where you like you like rewind the tape like six times. <laughs> 
and you're like, holy hell, that, that Jesus, you know, so he is making some uh, fantastic throws and locating the ball uh, almost, I mean, and some of these throws just perfectly where, where nobody else can catch it. And then there's some phenomenal receivers, uh, uh, the the stair kids, uh, Brand, uh, Brandon and brother, uh, the two stair boys, number one and number three, uh, man, uh, they are, you know, the one was hurt last year. So our league didn't see him, but he's been the best player, one of the best players in our league I got you. over the yep. course of his career. And we, you know, we didn't see him last year because of his injury. And now he's back and it looks like just like he did in 21, uh, just can can take over games. Uh, he is up there in our league. I think he's top two in every receiving category uh, with that. So it's, it's going to be defense going to have to find a way uh, to limit the explosives over the top from the stair boys. Uh, but then also, find a way to tackle them on the quick game. And, and so you're kind of living in both worlds, right? You got to be able to defend over the shot, over the top throws. Then you got to be able to, oh, oh shoot, they, they throw a bubble screen or they throw a hitch. You got to, you got to tackle those two. So uh, it'll be the same thing, a series by series game and uh, momentum's going to swing uh, back and forth. But, but uh, like you said, man, that's what makes our league so special. I, I just love it. I just have, um, this, the, our conference, I tell everybody all the time, our conference, like playing in these games and our league game, it's it's my passion. Like I, I, I played in this league, I coached in this league my entire adult, adult life. Um, these these games are so special. Like I don't think there's any better place to be uh, than the fall in, in the state of Wisconsin for a league game. Uh, we have great coaches in our players or in our league. We got great players in our league. Um, just just love being a part of this. I, give me any stadium. I don't care in the WIAC. I just love that. That's my happy place. Um, so with that, so I'll, I'm so excited for Saturday just to have that feeling. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I I freaking hate everybody in our league so i don't want <laughs> there people, it is yeah there it is i don't want people thinking oh he, he's a really lovey-dovey guy and he just loves it i hate him i hate them all uh i don't care i went to this school i hate it i hate everybody involved in it but just have so much respect for for what this league is about the players the coaches in it uh in the atmospheres that that are created within this league go ahead and cut a promo coach i love it <laughs> i love it man you had that one ready to go that was that was real too. I can tell. That's absolutely real. And you hate know, moving hate forward, them all. I hate them all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and moving forward for you guys, you know, you said you mentioned a lot of stuff that obviously you you know you've still got to continue to to show up every single week. But I know you're going to have those guys dialed, and and I guess the motivation for them, if anything else, is that every single one of your preseason goals, 100 percent, still on the table. And that's what happens when you win those big time games. So you're gonna. Uh, you're going to be a pretty easy job of trying to keep these guys on the right track. I'm assuming with that kind of squad, uh, with the leadership they have, they're going to do a lot by themselves. But uh, obviously a credit to you and the staff over there. I'm excited to see and, and follow you guys the rest of this year, man. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate appreciate the, uh, the support. And um, go Eagles, man. Hell yeah. Appreciate you, Coach. Have a good rest of your night. Thank you. Take care. All right. Appreciate Coach Janice coming on. Like I said, really enjoyed that conversation with him. That team, man, feels like the trajectory is right here. And, you know, you look at their schedule the rest of the year. They've got Platteville this week. You're talking about some, still some big games on the schedule. Um, you go Eau Claire, a couple really big ones. You got Oshkosh and River Falls. Like, those two are kind of the Giants. River Falls, huge matchup with uh, Whitewater this week. It'll be very interesting to see what happens there as far as the WAC is concerned. And then they close out their year against Stevens Point, which should be kind of a, a gimme for them. But, like I said to him, all their goals, their preseason goals, are right ahead of them for the Eagles. And uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with those guys over in the WAC. But let's talk about this guy, Keelan Harris. He's back in Atlanta after being signed to the Falcons practice squad from Oklahoma Baptist. Got a little piece. Just want to talk about him and uh, congratulate this guy because um, 
He's rejoining the Falcons. He was one of uh, two signees to the 16-man practice squad after the team released two players yesterday. Uh, he signed as a UDFA or undrafted free agent uh, back in April, a few hours after the conclusion of the draft, so didn't get picked up. They're only, if you remember, the only two D2 players that got drafted. The one was uh, Ethan Evans, who actually just had a huge week for the Rams. He's the punter, um, or as he calls himself, a fourth down quarterback, which is pretty hilarious. But um, he's a punter for the Rams, and uh, his stats right now are very incredible. So if you have not seen his game, definitely check him out. The other one was Jake Witt from Northern Michigan University. He's with the Colts, uh, is currently injured, so is not uh, seeing any time or anything, but is still on their roster. Um, but shout out to Keelan. This is this is uh, this is pretty sweet. Uh, he spent time on the 90 man, the training camp roster, competing in three preseason games before being waived before the start of the season. So. Uh, in the preseason, he had 76 receiving yards, averaged about 11 yards per catch uh, on seven catches. And, you know, got a little bit of time. Looks like a kick return for those guys as well to get his all-purpose up to about 100 yards. Uh, and I think that's probably a big reason. I'll re reframe myself here. I kind of out of the frame. That's probably a big reason why. Um, he's coming back to the squad and probably a big reason why they're bringing him back. Obviously, the dude is a very talented uh, receiver, about six foot. Um, coming out of Oklahoma Baptist, and I can probably find um, some stats for you real quick on him. But having that uh, extra, you know, what do you want to call it, ability of being a return guy, a return specialist, and bringing something else to the roster, that's huge. That's huge for a, for a squad, especially when you're trying to um, edge out so many other guys that are vying for the same position. So when you look at some of the stats for uh, for Keelan here, he made it to the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl last year. He was a Don Hansen D2 All-American honorable mention selection. He made it to the uh, Elite 100 from D2Football.com as an all-purpose player, second team all-region, first team all-conference out of the GAC. The accolades uh, in these past couple of years from him have, have definitely racked themselves up. He led the conference as a junior uh, and ranked third in the nation for all-purpose yards with over 1,800. He was third in the conference for receiving yards. And, um, you know, there's there's some really good stats on this guy. It's not really a, a wonder on how he's making some noise at the next level. Like I said, only a junior, it sounds like, before he made the jump. So he was very confident in his ability that uh, he could get up there and, and make some things happen. One stat that stands out for him right here is actually his um, career best all-purpose yards. 299. Guess what team he did it against in the GAC? Washita Baptist. A team that... We've come to associate with a very stingy defense, 299 all-purpose yards against them as a junior back in 2022. That's pretty impressive. Uh, he holds the school records for all-purpose yards and career kick return yards, um, as, as well as others, career receiving yards, receptions. I mean, pretty crazy. He was the second Bison receiver out of OBU, Oklahoma Baptist, to record back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons. And he finished second all-time for receiving touchdowns in his career with 26. And to my knowledge, that's only as a junior. So this guy forego, like, forewent his senior year. So shout-out to Keelan. Pretty sweet news for him. And uh, hope to see him uh, make his way even up from the practice squad onto that 53-man. Uh, so with that being said, let's talk about some uh, some D2 games. Let's stick in that realm for this week. And I, don't, I think it would be inappropriate to start with any game but the Anchorbone Classic, number one Ferris State at number four Grand Valley State University, the match that will most likely determine the GLIAC champion this year as it has uh, the last couple of years. Ferris, even though they lost at Montana, 
has not lost a game to a Division II opponent in the last two years, the back-to-back reigning defending champions. Oh, I got to crack my back. Oh, there it is. Oh, sorry. See me bugging. Um, last year, this game, incredibly close. At Ferris State, the Dogs pulled out 24-21. Uh, decent fourth quarter effort from them. Outscored Grand Valley 17-7 to in the second half. That was a big one. And Grand Valley currently leads the series right now. Uh, 12 wins to 11, which is kind of impressive. Uh, the home record for them is 6-6 six and six at the moment. Uh, the streak as of late has actually been all fair state. If you look, 1, 2, 3, 4, 14. Ferris State has won 11 out of the last 14. Wow. That's actually crazy. That is crazy. I did not realize it was like that. But the series itself is very even. Um, but talking about more of the actual uh, stats, if you will, coming into this one, both these teams uncharacteristically with one loss. And I mentioned Ferris State's obviously to that Montana team where they fell 17-10, uh, to and they almost really brought that one back. Grand Valley's obviously coming in a very dramatic fashion as well. Uh, their home opener, or excuse me, season opener at number two Colorado School of Mines, the Mines, the Ore Diggers, they hit that game-winning field goal on GVSU. And, you know, for the, both these teams to be in a position with one loss, now don't get me wrong, if they finish with two losses, like they're still going to be getting to the playoffs because of the strength of schedule that they do have. Uh, but... Still, for one of these teams to have two losses after this week, to me, is pretty wild. I did want to pull up some, talk a little bit of stats here on these guys. Um, there we are. Ferris State, obviously, incredibly physical up front. They dominate the line of scrimmage. Grand Valley knows this. They'll be ready for it. Grand Valley, to me, a little bit of a flashier offense, just the way they operate. Ferris State, obviously, super gritty. But they can get it done through the air, too. We've seen uh, Malik Mitchell, uh, Carson Galker even slinging the ball around a little bit. Trinidad got in there uh, and has been making some plays with his feet. That quarterback room is incredibly deep for them. Uh, but looking through you know, this offense and kind of what they do well, uh, I think the best – Measurement of that is in conference play right now. Ferris State is averaging over seven yards per rush. Like, that's what I mean when they talk about dominating the line of scrimmage. They're averaging 359 rushing yards. Uh, man, that's tough. Yeah, that's tough. Like, that, like Northern Michigan, that performance is obviously um, that's a, it's a big part of that. But, um, you know, looking at this game at GVSU, I would expect Grand Valley to honestly get out ahead in this one. I think the thing that shot them in the foot in last year and years past, honestly, is uh, getting worn down over time. I think Ferris State is a team that, you, you especially this year, on, you know, we haven't seen them with a whole lot of wire-to-wire victories. You talk about games against teams like even a Mercyhurst, right, or an Ashland, like those kind of games where they had to pull it out. And even though they were technically in the lead, it wasn't very comfortable. They had to pull it out in the second half and really get some stuff going for them. So, for me, I see Grand Valley getting out to a hot start, potentially, you know, one or two score lead, whatever it is, their offense firing. Uh, but Ferris isn't going anywhere. And I think that's where this gets really interesting. I think Ferris battles their way back into this one. And I'm not a super big prediction guy, just kind of how I feel the game might go. Um, I, I can see either one of these squads pulling this out. If you've been to a game at Lubber Stadium like this, you know what that place is like. It is a terrifying environment to play in. 
Guess what? Ferris has already played in that environment this year. At Montana, the Grizz, that's exactly why Coach Anise takes those guys out there. So I expect Ferris to be clawing their way back into this one late. Special teams, I think, for Ferris might play a really big role. It feels like there's always a really good chance Ferris uh, blocks a punt or a kick or has some big kind of return for one of their very explosive guys there and their athletes. But uh, this is really a toss-up for me. I would say, obviously, Ferris, the tentative favorite, but at home, the way this uh, GVSU offense is incredibly balanced right now and that front seven is uh, pretty veteran heavy, this could go either way, man. I don't want to make like a, a for real prediction on that one. But let's talk about another potential conference championship here as it's only halfway through the season. Number 14, Indianapolis at number 18, Truman State. This one being for the GLVC, the Great Lakes Valley Conference. And to me... This would be a very different conversation if Truman did not win against Quincy last week, which was a much closer game than I think some people expected for the Bulldogs. That one finished 33-27 in overtime at home versus Quincy. So the Quincy offense we've seen put up a shit ton of points, also been playing Helen Keller School of the Blind. So I'm not really going to put too much into that. Quincy's strength of schedule has been absolutely atrocious. They did prove, though, that they are a decent football team because they took this, uh, what is this, we know is a solid Truman team to overtime, so that is definitely respectable. Indy took this one last year, 28-14, to and did end up winning the conference. They were also picked to repeat as the conference champions this year. The all-time series right now, Truman only has one win to nine losses. Indy has certainly had their number, uh, but things change, right? Things change. Truman's coming off a lot of... I shouldn't say a ton of really decisive wins, but some pretty decisive wins. They're 6-0 and right now. Uh, both these squads are, are currently undefeated. Indy is only 5-0. and At Finley, a big dub to open the year for the Bulldogs, and they go at home against South Dakota Mines, and then Saginaw Valley, Wayne State from the GLIAC, and probably their most dominant performance to open conference play at McKendry, 56-24 to against a, a decent McKendry, kind of middle-of-the-road McKendry team. This, to me, this is obviously the, the GLVC championship. I'm very excited to see what goes on here. For me, a Quincy, McKendry, William Jewell, Southwest Baptist, Missouri S&T. I just don't see them being in the conversation. Upper Iowa, obviously not. I just think they're the bottom of the totem pole right now coming over from the Northern Sun. And to me, this is Indy's game. This is Indy's game to show what they're about. They've played a few of the same opponents as Truman, have handled it a little bit more decisively. Um, to me, Indy takes this one, but I'll, I'll give you talk a little bit more about the actual squad instead of me throwing out random uh, pieces there. Right now, when you uh, look at Indy, you had a couple people making some some things happen here, especially on the ground uh, with John Lewis and then uh, Jane Schlebeck and. Uh, let's see if my math is correct here. Over 700 yards between the two of them and seven touchdowns. Uh, Indy's getting it done on the ground. That's something that I don't think we've seen a ton from them in the past. They've had a couple really big defensive performances in the last couple of weeks. We had one of their defensive linemen was our player of the week selection, I do believe, uh, a little while back here. And, you know, through the air, uh, Gavin Suckup's got 12 touchdowns to only two picks right now. He's averaging over, a little over 200 a game with 1,100 yards. You know, they've got a pretty consistent offense and a good thing going on right now if you're a Greyhound fan. But otherwise, talk about the rivalry. We'll go back to the GLIAC, uh, Michigan Tech at Northern Michigan for the Miners' Cup. Talk about a rivalry that has been one-sided in recent history. The uh, Huskies have won, I do believe it's the last 12. But you hear that, you think it's incredibly one-sided. In the grand scheme of things, yeah, you're right. But 
these games are typically a lot closer than you might think. And for me, you know, looking at this, Northern Michigan, 0-6, really struggling. New head coach, a lot of new pieces, a lot of guys at the portal. Michigan Tech, 3-2. and two. You might think, obviously, that's a big difference. Michigan Tech's lost their last two. Their two GLIAC opponents have both been losses and have not been in great fashion. They picked up a very quality win versus Hillsdale. They opened the year. I will give them that. Scored 45. They barely squeaked one out at Wisconsin-Platteville. And then they win by three at Upper Iowa. Two squads that should not be on that same level as Michigan Tech. Get shut out at home against Davenport and then go at Wayne State on the road and lose. So, to me, 3-2, and 0-6. Oh These squads are a lot closer than people think. Uh, but, looking at this, to me... I keep saying to me, but I emphasize, like, these are just my opinions, right? The offense is in this. Like, whoever, this sounds really dumb and generic and basic. Whoever can score points is going to win this game. These offenses have been atrocious. Uh, For Northern Michigan, they scored 12 last week. It should have been only six. They scored a touchdown in the last play of the game. The week before, they scored three at Ferris. Uh, Quincy, they put up 27, but then against Lacrosse, put up three. They're... The averages and things right now for the Wildcats are not looking good, uh, especially depending on the quarterback situation. Uh, We'll see what happens there. It doesn't look like the starter will be back. But then you look over on the Michigan Tech side of things, and while things are better, I certainly would not say they're great. Uh, Points per game right now within the conference, 10.5 out of those first two games, They uh, had 264 yards in those first two conference games, uh, or per game, I should say. But I wanted to find here, and I can't. uh, Turnovers have been a big issue for the Huskies as of late. And that's going to be something that if Northern can generate turnovers, this game will be, you know, this will be competitive, right? This will be absolutely competitive. Yeah, so the Huskies have already thrown seven interceptions on the year. That's huge. Uh, Northern was able to generate uh, a pick and a couple forced fumbles against Davenport, and that is the reason the game was, at least on the score sheet, relatively close because they kept the Davenport offense off the field. If Northern's defense at home, night game, in the Superior Dome can step up and do that, this could be the way to turn the rivalry around. I think Michigan Tech is obviously still the favorite. Their defense brings back a lot of heavy hitters on that side of the ball, and you know, let's face it, on the offensive side, they're going to be stout. They're going to be fundamental. This is going to be a well-coached team with Matlack at the helm over there, an internal hire. Uh, MTU, still definitely the favorite in this one, but uh, I do think this is a little bit of a closer game than people might expect. Now, Northwest Missouri State at number 21, Missouri Western. This one, kind of an intriguing MIAA matchup here. Obviously, Northwest gets the better of them last year, 16-3, to but this feels like the get-back year for everybody not named Northwest Missouri State. We talked about Emporia State the first time they beat them in like 19 or 29 freaking years. Uh, absolutely incredible. Missouri Western is 5-1 and one right now. Their one loss being by a, a one score against Central Missouri, who we know is a great squad. They've picked up some very quality wins as of late. Those being over Central Oklahoma, Fort Hayes State, Emporia State, then at Washburn. They're on a roll right now. They've won five in a row, the Griffins have. On the other side of things, Northwest Missouri State sitting at 3-3. Some tough losses at Central Missouri, Fort Hayes State, Emporia State. Some of those same teams Missouri Western got the better half of. Now, this one for me. I feel it kind of going the same way. It is at Missouri Western. I think this is get back for the Griffins. They are rolling right now. And I don't think 
this uh, Northwest Missouri team is going to be able to hold up. Now, the offense, I will say, in the last three weeks has uh, has come alive for this Bearcat team. Jay Harris on the ground, the running back for them, has been playing out of his mind, which is crazy. We talked with Mike Hohensee, their starting quarterback we had on the show a while back. Jay Harris was not technically, quote-unquote, the guy coming into the year, but injuries and other circumstances made him the guy. He has been making the most of his opportunities. Last week, 22 carries for 274 yards and four tuds. Oh, my God goodness he's been playing at a very impressive clip and if they can do that they can keep this explosive offense from Missouri Western off the field they're coming off a 61 point performance the Griffins are that's going to be the key to this game keeping that offense off the field their defense has to step up which uh, it would not surprise me Northwest if they do that their defense will travel we absolutely know that but I think get back for Griffins is my my tentative guess here Northwest does lead the series 23 to 4 right now on a nine game win streak could change. Could change. We got three more games to cover here on the D2 side of things. We got number 19, Angelo State at Texas A&M Kingsville. This one, I think interesting. Kingsville, a recently removed nationally ranked team. The defense has absolutely been humming. They just had a, a one too many kind of critical loss here. Sitting at 4-1, and one, that loss against UTPB is what knocked them out of that national rankings. We know Texas Permian Basin's a squad. We had Coach McCullough on here. We know that is a squad. They bounce back, though, 28-21 win over West Texas A&M, who has taken a dip as of late. They have made some very close losses these last couple weeks. Uh, if you're a Buffs fan, that is a, that is a tough one for you. But looking at this series, Kingsville took a beating last year, 34-7, to the Rams, and they're down 5-10 to right now in the series. But, uh, again, could this be the get-back year? We don't really know. Angelo State, 3-2 and two on the year. Their two losses, uh, Colorado School of Mines, and then Central Washington. They've bounced back the last two weeks. Uh, this most la- this recent week, Eastern New Mexico was not a very convincing W for them in the Lone Star. 23-14 to 14 over a team that I don't, I didn't, at least I didn't assume was going to be, uh, sorry, two weeks ago. They had a bye this last week. Uh, but this next part of the schedule for them is going to be tough. They play at Texas A&M Kingsville, and then they're back home versus UTPB, and then at West Texas A&M. This could be a gauntlet for Angelo State. Let's see what they're made out of, out of the Lone Star. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. Uh, coming from a team that last year had one of the best defensive secondaries in all of Division II football, we can talk about Kingsville kind of being in that conversation as well. Their defense has been playing very well, and at a good clip, they haven't let up more than uh, 30 points this year. Uh, when the offense doesn't get going, then you're not going to be in games. But that defensive secondary for both these squads will probably be the thing that keeps this game in check. This being uh, at home versus Angelo State, I might give Texas A&M Kingsville the edge in this one, even though they have lost, let's see, the last nine to the Rams. I think they flipped the script this year. I think this is what this is what it's about for Kingsville down there. They're going to be pretty motivated to take these guys down. So, over to the NSIC, Northern Sun Conference for some uh, interconference action. Number 11, Bemidji State at Wayne State College. Wayne State College playing the uh, the home wrecker, I guess, against Minnesota Duluth last week, knocking the Bulldogs out. Uh, they had a perfect season going. We're nationally ranked. The Wildcats come in there and say, I don't give a flying fuck about your season. <laughs> the Bemidji State Beavers, their one loss on the year, obviously, coming this past week against Mankato. Um, sorry, two weeks ago, they had a bye. These schedules always throw me off. Against Mankato, 24-27 at their place. Coming off a bye week, 
I think Bemidji comes back and uh, not going to be a crazy convincing win. I think they come back in a big way and they are going to be fueled up and ready to go for this one. With that being said, Wayne State is 5-1. and one. Their one loss coming to Mankato uh, in what was actually a decent game. A pretty dominant win at home against a nationally ranked Minnesota Duluth team. Why not? Why not the Why not the Wildcats at home? You know what I mean? I'm still taking Bemidji. I think this bye week's going to get them right. They're going to be clicking offensively. They might have put up a lot of points offensively right now. But uh, this game will definitely be more competitive than maybe I even believe or some other outside people believe. But nonetheless, our last kind of game I wanted to highlight here. East Stroudsburg, PSAC action. 5-1 and one at Westchester, who's 4-2. and two. And when you think about the PSAC right now, IUP season's kind of over, right? Uh, three losses. It, it looks like their starting quarterback might be out for good. I'm not really sure on that one. And who we've had on the show, Karstarn, I really enjoyed having him on, the transfer from uh, Colorado Mesa. So IUP, for the most part, out of the picture, right? You're reigning uh, regional champion. Now, you look at a team in Shepard. Shepard only has one loss, but they are not the Shepard team they were last year. So we don't know how that's going to go. The team that beat them, Kutztown, all of a sudden, they've got some great momentum going for them over there. The Bears do. Uh, so, I mean, Shepard, you got Kutztown. Slippery Rock is the one that I think probably sits on top right now. Those guys are finding their rhythm, and they are doing it very quickly. They look really good at top of the conference. And then I'd put these two teams kind of in that maybe right below the, the Kutztown and, and the Shepherds of the world right now, East Stroudsburg and Westchester. And for Westchester, their two losses coming against Slippery Rock and Millersville picked up a quality win at Shippensburg this last week. And um, now... At home against East Stroudsburg, this is a huge prove-it game for these guys. And for me, this is how you separate yourself from one another, and it's kind of the tiers uh, in this conference. Right now, as far as uh, Westchester goes, uh, Cooper Jordan is getting most of the snaps over at quarterback. The problem for them has been turnovers. He has seven interceptions to six touchdowns. And about 200 passing yards a game is not a bad stat, right, at this level, but Seven turnovers already at this point of the season is not ideal. Their rushing attack is a little bit more balanced, but uh, Cooper Jordan also leading them on the ground. He's got two touchdowns and about 338 yards on the ground. But for me, what worries me is that your next leading rusher is only at 169 yards and 146. So there's not maybe that kind of bell cow or key feature back uh, there. And you have your quarterback doing a lot of this for you, which is interesting for for Westchester, but they got the better half of the Warriors from East Stroudsburg last year, 24-21, and they currently lead the series 18-3 to on a nine-game win streak. That I did not know. A lot of these games are very competitive. She was kind of looking at the at the scores. But East Stroudsburg side of things, they're 5-1 and one right now. A lot of pretty dominant wins. One of those coming over IUP by one point. Their loss coming to Kutztown. So you can kind of see how the, the PSAC is starting to shape out a little bit. I would take the Warriors in this one. I feel like their offense has a potential to explode. They've done it a couple times already this year against Pace with 62, against Seton Hill, 55. Uh, even last week against a really quality Millersville team, 38 points at home. But I think the offense explodes for East Stroudsburg. I'm interested to see how the PSAC ends up shaking out. But it's kind of all we got for today, the D2-wise side of things. I, I'll cover some a couple quick Hitters on the D3 side, if you'd like. Um, let's see what we got here. Alfred at Cortland. 
should actually be a pretty good game. That Cortland offense has been electric with Zach under center over there. The Alfred defense uh, has been maybe not as electric, but still been very stout. Susquehanna and Juaniata. That's an interesting one. Um, Alma and Hope. This one is going to be one I think we talked about a little bit earlier in the week. This is probably the MIAA championship. Albion's kind of out of the way. Alma and Hope looking right now to see who lays claim in the conference. The Scots coming off a incredible record-setting season last year. Uh, unfortunately got bounced by uh, Aurora, I do believe, in the second round of the playoffs. Hope's trying to see if they can play the Usurper here and, and take them down. Then... We've got probably the biggest matchup of the week. UW-Whitewater at UW-River Falls. We posted this one on our socials, gave you a couple stats. The number one uh, rushing offense in the WIAC in Whitewater against the number one rushing defense in River Falls, who's only let up 30 or 40 yards on the year. Caleb Blaha is a dog under center for the Falcons, but UW-Whitewater has a balanced attack with Ogden uh, at quarterback, Tamir Thomas, and a couple other key contributors in the backfield. This Whitewater squad is hungry after that loss at home. Are they hungry enough for the Falcons? This is at River Falls. That is an absolute toss-up for me. I'm very excited to watch that game, see what goes on there, um, and see if Whitewater can regain their balance. They played a tough out-of-conference schedule. Now you get into WIAC play, and now if you do have a two-loss Whitewater team, you know, I still think they can certainly uh, sweep the table a couple big games ahead of them, but now all of a sudden things aren't guaranteed anymore, right? Two losses for one of these squads and things are not guaranteed at the division three level. Lacrosse is Platteville. We talked about that. Grove city. Algony could be a very interesting matchup. Grove city, still one of the undefeated squads. We talked about their upset over Carnegie Mellon a little while back. They are cruising right now. Algony is going to prove to be a pretty solid test for them, but I think it's kind of all the big hitters in the D three side of things. So I appreciate you guys listening to this. Thank you very much. Remember to subscribe uh, on YouTube and hit us up on the other social platforms, but this has been division one rejects. Appreciate you tuning in.